Thanks for joining Impact Boom. On this episode... You're also trying to, from the outset, because we are a business with purpose and that's our North Star and that's how we were established and we haven't embedded that sort of down the track after in bank over the accumulation a number of years. It's been from the very outset, we've endeavored to create impact. So balancing and growing those two in harmony and sync or popping up one of the other buckets when it requires it because you haven't been able to nurture that as much as the other, that's a constant challenge. Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 370 of Impact Boom. My name's Indio Miles, and I'm passionate about communicating the initiatives and enterprises causing sustainable and positive change globally. Today, we're speaking with Nick Pierce. Nick is the co-founder and CEO of Homey, a streetwear clothing social enterprise that uses 100% of its profits towards its mission to support young people affected by homelessness or hardship to equip them with the skills, confidence and experiences to be more work ready and better prepared for their future. Nick was awarded the 2017 Victorian Young Achievers Award for Leadership and 2018 National Retail Association's Young Retailer of the Year. On today's podcast, we will discuss generating sustainable and long-lasting impact for homeless Australian youth through a clothing social enterprise which donates 100% of its profits. Nick, thank you so much for joining us. It's really exciting to have you here today. Thanks for having me, Indio, and congratulations on 370 podcast episodes. It's amazing. Oh, thank you very much. We're happy to be here and to be making all of these insightful interviews and talking to amazing people like yourself within the space. So to start off, could you please share a bit about your background and then what led to your work in social enterprise? Yeah, of course. My background is I did a communications degree in Melbourne at RMIT University. Certainly wasn't an exemplary student. I got the degree, but wasn't with honours or anything like that at all. I was just one of those students that got to class and all the classes I needed to get to and did all that. And yeah, I had a great time there. And my degree was really focused on communication, journalism and advertising and PR and all the rest of that. I loved it. It was a very social person. I had an awesome time in that regard. And I guess from a work experience perspective, I certainly hadn't had a senior management role in any sort of organisation because I obviously came into Homey when I was quite young in my 20s. I'd worked for a burger restaurant. I'd worked at a bottle store. I And actually, my job prior to, or whilst I was starting up home and were volunteering, I was a manny, a male nanny. Yes, I certainly haven't had any management experience per se and found myself obviously in this role at quite a young age. But obviously, that's often what happens when it's your own startup and you're bootstrapping and all that kind of stuff. It's been an unconventional journey, but I think I've always really enjoyed the storytelling component and Homey came about because because one of the other co-founders and myself, and they're quite a talented sort of creative and photographer and whatnot, we decided to just go and speak to someone who was living up on the streets in Melbourne, just at the top of Swanton Street, which is very close to where I went to uni, just diagonally across the road. So it was one of my breaks from uni and they were working in a retail store at the time. So we just started to meet up and chat to someone and then the rest is sort of history, if you will. 
Wow, really interesting background there and a great entry point as well in speaking to people within the community that you would eventually try and help address this issue within. So that brought you to being a co-founder and now you're also currently a chief executive officer of Homie Clothing. So can you please share more about this enterprise and what it's doing, but also then how it's creating a positive social change? Yeah, no, of course. We did a fantastic job in the intro and obviously we use 100% of the profits towards the mission. And that is obviously to work with young people affected by homeless or hardship. And we use that language very intently and I'll talk about why we do so as well. And really, yeah, skills, confidence and experiences to get people ready for work. It's become self-sufficient, sustaining and independent. We really see employment and education as a key ingredient, if you will, to support someone to exit a cycle of disadvantage. So that's really where the focus has been. And in regards to why we work with young people specifically, I guess we took a really good look at where we were best placed to make the best possible impact with what we have. Obviously, we remedied and rectified that we can't do everything get everyone, but we can do something for someone. Mm-hmm. And let's just make sure that whatever we're doing is the most important thing that we can be. And we thought that we could be a really important, critical piece of the puzzle because we know that retail is the biggest employer of young people in the country. And we know that youth homelessness is so overrepresented in terms of the total homelessness population in Australia. So we thought it was a really wonderful marriage to make and thought, well, let's try and we can't do it all, but we can partner with specialist homelessness services that provide that foundational support and care and that wraparound to be a key cog in the machine and that next step to help someone exit, whether it's a temporary housing situation and build up their confidence and their skills and their self-esteem and all those things to be able to ultimately become self-sufficient. We really focus on that in very heavily and intently. And then the other impact program that we run, and I'll talk a bit more about that impact program, which is our Pathway Lights program. And we also run our VIP Day program, which is when we 12 times a year provide a dignified shopping experience to a group of young people experiencing homelessness via a service and invite them to either come to our store or do outreach and they get to shop for free and choose five items, brand new clothing and haircuts and food and coffee, et cetera. And that's really a great opportunity to connect with services that exist as well as young people and familiarize them with us and what we do and try and channel hopefully some interest in applying for our Pathway Alliance program, our retail training and employment program. So those are the two sort of endeavors that we have. And then I guess from a direct impact perspective, and then alternatively, we also try and raise awareness about homelessness in a really, I guess, progressive manner and have created this medium of fashion and streetwear to connect with ideally that younger person to get giving in a different way and means on their radar where you can obviously make a contribution and really see and feel that impact whilst also getting something for yourself as well that hopefully looks and feels really good. But equally, you can start a conversation with someone that says, hey, great tea. And you can say, yeah, yeah, thanks for that. It looks great, but also it's doing something really important and that can start a conversation. There's a lot of minutiae behind, obviously, the architecture of the organization. But mm. as I say, there's two, two clear direct impact programs. And then there's obviously these other ancillary activities that we're conducting to try and get more conversation happening and do things differently fundamentally. Great explanation there, Nick, and really breaking down all of those subcategories and those facets of impact that you're creating there at Homey. And it's an amazing community as well that you're working with down there. And as you said, that there's quite a few different ways that you're working with this community. But if you were talking about people who are experiencing homelessness in Australia, what are some common misconceptions about them? And how can business more effectively address these gaps? 
It's a really good question. And I think it's a couple of key pieces of information, which I think can hopefully alter some of the narrative that's often perpetuated through the mainstream media at times. We know the most recent census is due to come out to the middle of this year, but based off the most recent one on any given night in Australia, are over 120,000 people who are experiencing homelessness. I guess one of the biggest insights is that of that 120,000, it's around 7,000 or so people who are living rough. So most homelessness is actually invisible. And the vast majority of homelessness that occurs in Australia, we actually don't see. So couch surfing, sleeping in cars, refuges, temporary accommodation, etc. That's really the true of the most accurate representation of an experience is actually this invisible homelessness. And beyond that is what are the contributing factors? Obviously, lack of affordable housing, number one, family and domestic violence, very high as well, obviously, in terms of that. And from a contribution of substance and alcohol abuse, it's less than 5%. And we know that's always symptomatic of a broader issue. If someone is obviously engaging in that, another reason why that's transpiring, right? Whether that's mental health or whatever it may be, self-medication, mm-hmm. et cetera. I guess, unfortunately, there's this stigma and this stereotype that people who are experiencing homelessness are obviously under the influence or an alcoholic or whatever. It's just not true because we know objectively the information tells us that's absolutely not the case and that people are by far and large violent and aggressive and we should be afraid of them. Again, that's really not the true story. Unfortunately, yes, there are some instances of people who are heavily under the influence that have been caught at a bad moment and being put on the front page of a big publication that perpetuates this narrative that people who are experiencing homelessness are aggressive, violent, we should be afraid of them, etc. As I say, the information that we have, the objective data tells us and the real experiences that this is not the case. I guess the other one is that it's their own fault. We always permeate through as well. The majority of people don't choose this experience in life and there may be some exceptions because obviously for some people it's tax-free, it's an existence that some people are happy to have, but by far and large for the most part, people don't choose this life as well and it's not their fault there have been a couple of things that have unfortunately not gone their way and they're desperately trying to exit that situation but once you're in that cycle it's very difficult to remove yourself from that as well those are some of the common themes that appear and i get quite passionate about it obviously because i just think it's such an injustice how the issue is presented and spoken about but then i guess in relation to the cohort that we work with young people specifically who are experiencing homelessness Of that 120,000 people, 60% people who are 35 and under, and 40% of that are people who are 25 and under. Really, most homelessness also, or a significant cohort that experience homelessness is young people. And they face these social stigmas. And it's so hard to get a job when you haven't had any work experience, where someone has a predefined narrative about who you are. And you don't have a resume. You don't know how to start to put together a resume. You've got no referees, et cetera. Unfortunately, there's that start line at 100 meters sort of sprint. And people who are in this situation are already severely handicapped and way behind the start line that we all shoot off at. I guess those are probably some of the misconceptions, but also some of the realities of homelessness. Really interesting. And thank you for sharing all of that about that community there in Australia. I think it was very insightful and addressing all of those misconceptions, I believe is just such an important part as well. And a huge part of what you're doing there at Homie as well. And now if we're looking a bit, you spoke about that when you started Homie Clothing as an enterpriser, you were quite young and you were bootstrapping and you were just in the beginning and you didn't know about what you were doing. So if you're talking about that journey, what have been some of the biggest barriers you faced and some of the biggest lessons that you've also learned from having no choice but to tackle them? It's a really good question. I mean, when you sort of undertake a journey like this, you can't certainly precedent or forecast what is going to transpire. It's a really, a truly a wild ride. And there are these variables that do appear and you have those sleepless nights where you think, oh, if something goes this way, we might not be here tomorrow. And that's often in regards to the commercial side of things. It's really tough to run a small business and remain viable in this increasingly unstable economic environment and these unpredictable factors. The bottom line is that without any profit, there's no purpose. 
but you're also trying to from the outset because we are a business with purpose and that's our North Star and that's how we were established and we haven't embedded that sort of down the track over the accumulation number of years. From the very outset, we've endeavoured to create impact. Balancing and growing those two in harmony and sync or popping up one of the other buckets when requires it because you haven't been able to nurture that as much as the other. That's a constant challenge is making sure that you can obviously fuel the fire. That's definitely where it's been a challenge at times, gaining the commercial viability and making sure that we are on that continual growth journey and being as efficient as we can possibly be whilst also maintaining quality impact. That's another insight is that it's for us, scalability and all those other elements. There's opportunity there as well, but we're very focused on scope right now and having a great depth of impact. And we really pride ourselves on that because if we do something that's a Band-Aid solution or we don't see a project through, it's in no one's best interests and we need to be doing it properly or not doing it at all. It's also been a thing. Often there's been opportunities where there might be a shortcut or a quick win, but it might just be contrary to our value system and fundamentally just the right way to go about things. So they've been a couple of pieces. And then obviously when you're working with people who've had a background of considerable trauma, understandably there are challenges that can and do arise. And that's to be expected because it's about making sure that we can support people with just the capacity that we have, whilst also ensuring that there's additional supports and capacity around from other specialists to make sure that everybody is playing to their strengths and really ensuring that there is a quality and approach. As I say, if we can't be working in this space and that's what we stand for and saying it's too hard, then we shouldn't be doing it. And if we can't be doing it, then who can be doing it? That definitely is motivation and fuel for us as well. That journey that you've had there has clearly taught you a lot about this social enterprise space there. So thank you so much for sharing that with our audience there, Nick. And if we were just going to give a piece of advice now for a purpose-led person seeking to start their own social enterprise, what piece of advice would you give them? As I say, one, one is balancing your passion and your logic. I think you can those two elements. Passion does go a very long way, absolutely, and it is infectious, but it needs to be coupled with that commercial now and making sure that you're applying a logical application to both the solution you're seeking to, I guess, ultimately provide, whilst also, as I say, like from that no profit, no purpose lens as well, ensuring that you've got that sustenance. I think those are some really important pieces of information. And then the other thing is just to feed your curiosity. I used to ask questions, why is something like this why is it being done like this? Is there another way? And that's how you can identify maybe an alternative solution that hasn't been entertained before and find what your logical, unique value add can be. We don't have to reinvent the wheel with some things. There are some things that are working really well, but there might just be an extra ingredient we can put in that can make it more seamless or provide greater value. There are probably a couple of suggestions that I'd have. Really well said there, Nick, and some fantastic advice there for anyone looking to enter the sector. And we're actually coming in now to the end of our interview. I just have two more quick questions to squeeze in before we finish up. So firstly, what inspiring projects or initiatives have you come across recently, which are creating a positive social change? One that I'm a big fan of just in this environment of consumerism, if you will, and minimizing our impact is there's a cool endeavor, Single Use Ain't Sexy by a fellow called Josh Howard, which is really trying to obviously mitigate the use of single-use plastics and look at more sustainable options. They have this awesome soap mechanism with a dispenser and that's just one of their products. And I think that's really cool and highly scalable as well and can affect that kind of lifestyle change. But sometimes it's like, for us, there's, we're having impacts in regards to, as I say, working with a cohort that we've made a conscious decision to do. 
but there's other ways where we can provide a solution for everybody in their daily lives, in their households to do something a bit differently and do it a bit better whilst also reducing our footprint as well. So I think it's great to see, I guess, a broader spectrum of opportunities for people, both what you can do for yourself and by extension, that's going to help others. So also what are the contributions that you can make to others as well via supporting initiatives such as Homey? Really fascinating initiatives there as well as Homey, obviously, and all of those will be linked in at the end of the article. So once people have either listened to our conversation or read through on the website, they'll be able to go click on through and check out all the work those initiatives are doing. But before we finish up as well, we're going to add some more stuff to that list. What books or resources would you recommend for our listeners to go and check out? Oh, that's such a good question. Other than your natural curiosity and following the center of your nose, for me, I just in terms of obviously like relating to people, there was a book, I think it's called The Five Levels of Leadership, which I thought was really interesting. Just really helped me in terms of as you're growing an organization and working alongside people. And it really talks about this like essentially these, it's got by a fellow called John C. Maxwell, it's, you know, a New York Times piece. And it talks about these P's. There's these P's that you need to work on. By extension, obviously, my role being the CEO, if you will, there's this association to leadership because of my position. But that's not good enough, right? I need someone to give me permission to lead them. And that's a great spot to be at because they're actively endorsing that as opposed to it just being that power dynamic. So working your way through to what's the ultimate and always needing to nurture those relationships, I think has just been a really interesting resource for me in terms of just whether it's actually a colleague or a friend or whatnot is that you've got to water things. So the grass isn't green. You have to water things at all times and you just can't sit idle. So I really like the principles applied in that particular text. Sounds like a fantastic resource. And as I said, the same with all of the initiatives and movements that you mentioned throughout the podcast, including Homie Clothing, that will be linked in at the end of the article so people can go check it out. And that unfortunately does bring us to the end of our interview here today. And I just want to say, Nick, on behalf of Impact Boom, thank you so much for making the time to have a chat with me and also to just share some of your experiences as well as this journey that you've had here and also just to be an advocate on behalf of this homeless community within Australia. So thank you so much, all the best, and we can't wait to see what work you do in the future. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure and looking forward to listening to many more episodes to come. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.